Good morning. Welcome to Real Time with IPELRA, a podcast dedicated to HR topics in local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking about the hemorrhaging of women in the workplace, women stepping back due to COVID. But before we get into our topic, I wanted to let you know the show for next week. Next week, we have Andra Medea. Andra has appeared on NPR uh, and has provided training in the workplace regarding de-escalating conflict, essentials for stressful times. I also wanted to let you know that Real Time with iPelro will be going on hiatus for the month of December. We look to return in January with a full lineup uh, of all new content. Um, just to give you a little teaser, we will have Jeff Nowak from FMLA Insights to talk to us about um, perhaps we will see an extension of FICRA um, coming in the new year, as well as Jim Powers from Clark Baird Smith to discuss um, the possibility of uh, implementing COVID vaccines in the workplace. But we're here to get into our show today. I'll turn it over to Christina to introduce our guest. Thanks, Meg. Missy Hall from GovHR and also president-elect of the Legacy Project. Um, you know, as an IPELRA um, board member and now president, I'm always excited to have opportunities to partner with other associations like Legacy that serve local government professionals here in Illinois. So welcome, Missy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show. We're glad to have you. Um, why don't you start just by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you. I'm the HR generalist for GovHR. I've been with them for about seven, over seven years now. My background is in local government. I have an MPA from NIU, and I work for several Illinois area suburbs and nonprofits. I'm a mom of three school-aged kids, and I started law school at Chicago Kent this year, focusing on employment law. I've been working with the Legacy Project Board and their communications committee for many years, developing and promoting programs for supporting women in local government. Thank you. That's great, Missy. So like a lot of parents out there, you have a lot on your plate. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And COVID-19, you know, like everything has probably um, just added another layer of challenge and, and opportunity to uh, evolve in the last few months. It has definitely changed our routine um, several times, um, just having to deal with the challenges of the, the pandemic and e-learning. It's really been an adjustment for our family as well as a lot of families. Right. So on that topic, um, our show today is really focused on these articles that we've been seeing. And you and I had a chance to chat via email about Time and Fortune and CNBC and a few others highlighting the, um, the disproportionate impact COVID is having on women in the workforce. Um, they were showing numbers that just were staggering of women leaving the workforce, reducing their responsibilities or considering uh, these options because of the COVID impacts. Um, and I imagine a lot of that has to do with childcare e-learning or just caregiving responsibilities that may be uh, disproportionately placed on women in the workforce. Are you seeing this trend at all in local government? Unfortunately, this is a scary reality for many workers and families. I have been reading um, the articles and reports that you uh, mentioned they're showing how the pandemic has affected the workplace. Um, the response that I've heard has been varied. Um, local governments provide an essential service, though they're not 
necessarily losing employees like other industries are, but I think we're starting to see that more. We're hearing more stories where people are leaving. Um, but local government is still dealing with the impact of COVID in, in many other ways. And, you know, women employees struggling, you know, parents struggling with e-learning and the demands of having to teach their children during the day while also um, being online for work. You know, I can say myself, like I sit at the dining room table with my kids while they're in their classrooms and we're all working together and that can be distracting. Um, and, you know, I'm lucky that I have uh, people in the house with me that can hold down the fort while I have to run and take a meeting, but not everybody has that option, especially single parents who are trying to do it all themselves. And the, you know, the focus is put on women, um, that, and women also try to, you know, be super woman and do everything. Um, you know, I'm hearing a lot in local government that people are having to cut their hours to part-time to accommodate the e-learning e and that affects their families, their income and, you know, and it affects the local government trying to schedule, um, develop the schedule around more part-time employees. Um, as you mentioned, in September, Lean In put out its annual Women in the Workplace report and the results are surprising how the pandemic has changed the workplace for women. The study reported that one in four women are considering leaving the workforce due to the impact um, these changes have had on the workplace. Um, and then we were able to survey the members of Legacy Project, um, ILCMA, the City Managers Association, and IPELRA regarding how the pandemic has affected the organizations um, and their employees and supervisors. Half of the respondents to our survey have school-aged children at home. And 37% of the respondents have said that their direct reports had to reduce their hours or leave the workplace. So that's a, that's a big percentage. There's a lot of change happening. This is an issue that's affecting employees in our, in our industry. Even if they're not leaving the workplace, they're struggling with this new reality. Um, it, it is a problem. What I found really interesting, Missy, about looking at the survey results that you shared with us um, was the, yeah. the comments about the caregiving responsibilities yes. and, and sort of the varied responses from employers. Some of the survey respondents um, indicated that their employers were being very supportive and doing the best they could to help them adjust their schedule to work around school changes. But others reported, you know, having to feel like they were um you know, sort of being stigmatized a little bit because of the fact that they have children and other people don't in the organization or like they were getting some sort of special treatment. Um, in some cases, I think one of the respondents mentioned uh, a comment um, that they got from a superior during a Zoom call or during a, a virtual meeting where their kids were maybe being maybe a little noisy in the background. Um, and, and that was sort of something that was brought up to them in, in a negative way. And um, you know, I, I think it's tough because obviously kids right now are running into situations where they're stuck inside or stuck at home and not able to exert all that energy they might normally at school or home all day. Um, so did I, I guess, did you guys have an opinion on some of the surveys that you saw? Yeah. yeah I, uh, Go ahead, Missy. Um, yeah, I saw the same thing. There's a lot of positives, um, organizations who are being very supportive, um, and then others who feel that their organizations are not, that they're they're getting negative comments, they're 
feeling like they are, you know, not completing their duties at like other employees or that they're not available um, or that they're being judged by other employees because they're getting a benefit that other people aren't if they're they're getting more flexibility and other people aren't. And I, I wanted to just take a moment and read some of these comments out loud because I was uh, outraged. Um, I think it's nice in the beginning, this first quote says, I've been surprised to see how understanding most everyone has been about the challenges of managing all full-time job and caring for my young children. I have, however, found it difficult to manage the balance and keep up with my work in midst of such a constant challenge. That's to be expected. Um, another comment is, those of us with children are singled out and made to feel like we're taking a benefit that others are not afforded. And I can echo that sentiment. I've heard that from others in my workplace as well. And, uh, another quote, the immediate reaction is that I'm shirking my duties when childcare is unavailable or I'm forced to balance. And then the, the most egregious one, in my opinion, was I've gotten feedback about loud kids in the background or, quote, call me when there's not crying or negative comments if I'm outside while taking a call so my kids can run around outside and be occupied so I can focus on a call. I see male colleagues doing the same thing, and I'm unsure and doubtful if they get similar feedback. I received a comment that, quote, you'll need a nanny if I was ever to become a village manager as if I had to disguise my family and take health risks in order to progress in my career. Yeah, there's a, those comments, especially that last one, it's really hard to take. And you really feel like they're not being supported in the workplace and we need to do better. Right. Yeah, I think so. How, how can we do that? Go ahead, Christina. I was going to say, I think, you know, COVID is, has been a challenge for everyone, including employers. And, um, you know, this, this issue of childcare uh, or caregiving responsibilities isn't a new one, but there's certainly a new, um, a new light to it because of COVID. Um, and I think that typically managers in the workplace uh, may have had a mindset of, you know, that separation of work and life, right? And so there's there's opportunities out there. You need to make sure that you have um, appropriate childcare and, and things taken care of. And sort of the, maybe that traditional motto of it's not really the employer's responsibility to figure out how to make sure that you're productive at work. That's sort of your responsibility. But I think in this light of COVID, and I think as time goes on, especially because this is going on for so long, there is a, a stress and anxiety and a mental health factor. Um, and, and again, certainly these reports of, of how many women are leaving the workforce, I think it does become the responsibility to some degree of management to uh, really help kind of figure out how to support employees who are struggling through this because those traditional mechanisms for childcare aren't in place right now. School is not a tradition, you know, school's not in session for most students on a full-time basis the way it was Monday through Friday during regular hours. Daycare centers and childcare facilities um, are either closed or operating at reduced capacity. So it's sort of the, I think right now, the, the mantra of it takes a village. Um, and this is where I think we can help support parents and caregivers in our workforce, male or female, um, and sort of navigating these things. Christina, there's two points I wanted to comment on that. Um, one, I think this plays hand in hand with last week's or the week before's prior guest, Joyce Martyr, um, talking about mental health um, during this COVID. I mean, this is 
uh, we don't need to say it, an unprecedented time. These are challenges that we never, that we might have peripherally encountered, but this is um, overwhelming. And the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, one of our IPELRA colleagues just shared a report with us that as employers, we need to stop looking two to three months ahead. We need to start planning for 12 to 14 months ahead because this, these trends that we see are seeing are going to continue. And as much as we want a COVID solution and a vaccine coming up in the next few months, the likelihood that that's going to happen and be administered to a place where we can actually breathe a sigh of relief is fourth quarter 2021. Right. I've seen the same reports, which, um, you know, took me a minute, took me aback for a minute. And I had to wrap my head around a, another essentially full year uh, of um, dealing not only necessarily with COVID directly, but just the impacts of it and, and um, adjustments to day to day life. So uh, for all of all of our listeners that maybe are hearing that for the first time, it's going to be OK. Take a deep breath. I know it's a little scary to think about a whole nother year of this. I wanted to mention too, with the mental health, it, the survey that we put out and the lean in study really emphasized the importance of mental health support in the workplace. Burnout is such a huge problem as well as depression during this time that, um, you know, not just your employees that are parents, but all employees need to be aware of the resources available to them. Supervisors um, should be on the lookout for signs of burnout and depression and help employees seek the resources they need, which can be a struggle when you're working remotely. And in local government, you may be seeing your employees more face-to-face, -face, but even employees who aren't currently living with anyone are really struggling to deal with the effects of social distancing. And it's important to look out for the mental health of all employees. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and like Megan mentioned, that was a specific topic that we covered with Joyce Martyr. So, um, looking back at the survey that um, you provided, the respondents were also asked to rank solutions according to how well they would support them um, as employees. And uh, mental health counseling and support was the second item on that list. The first was, a, you know, flexible work options. Um, the third one is unconscious bias training for all staff, which I, I kind of thought was an interesting, uh, interest, interesting solution that was presented. And then um, fourth was extended deadlines and fifth was adjusted performance criteria. So um, for any managers out there that are listening that might be thinking, well, so what does this mean? Are we suggesting that we just kind of have a free for all and let, you know, employees who are uh, parents or caregivers just kind of do whatever they want without any boundaries? That is not what we're saying. Those would not be good management practices, obviously. But um, you know, Missy, what are some of the conversations that employers could and should be having with their employees um, to, you know, before they decide to leave to see what options are out there to, uh, to assist them during this time? Yes, flexibility was the, the top rank solution that was reported that um, either that communities are, are already providing um, or that employees are requesting are ranking as important to them. Um, but that obviously a flexible schedule has to fit with the organizational needs. Um, so talking to employees, um, one, of the, one of the things that the major complaints is feeling of needing to always be working. And so a flexible, a flexible schedule can also be a burden if there's no discussion about, you know, when should my, when do I get to have time to myself? 
And how do I work that in and still be a, you know, be able to produce the results that I need to produce for work. So as a manager, just being aware of your employee, the deadlines being a little flexible with the deadlines, um, or at least, you know, keeping communication open so that you can go back and forth and say, okay, I can really work on this project now and I can get this done by X date. I know you wanted it done a little earlier, but maybe if we push it back, is there wiggle room? Just um, being open with that and keeping the communication open and allowing uh, for a little more forgiveness in the schedule. You know what? I think it's interesting that second comment was unconscious bias training. And at first, when I read the results of the survey, you know, I, Paul, we are famous for surveys. We always want your feedback. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, someone misunderstood. And they thought they just want us to give more training on this. But, but then I realized, no, it's the unconscious bias against um, women as child with childcare responsibilities or household responsibilities. And again, thinking back to Sonal, we had her on last week, um, this renewed interest by employers in diversity, equity, and inclusion. There isn't a new effort that we need to do or a new initiative that we need to launch. This starts right now in our current workplace with our current employers in educating or current employees in educating them on, Hey, we do need to cut some slack. And by cutting some slack, it doesn't mean we are allowing certain employees to take advantage of the system or shirk from their responsibilities. What we are doing is leveling the playing field because it's not level. The burden does still fall primarily to women. And here's what we can do to provide equity. Exactly. The, the unconscious bias training really focuses on how how the impacts of the workload affect everybody. And by offering males the same benefits or, or non-parents the same benefits as parents, you're offering these people to support their partners or family members at home and giving everybody equitable me means of meeting the demands of work. And also giving everybody this, changing it from, and you know, recognizing your unconscious bias helps you make those active choices to, to change your perspective in real life. And you know what, again, back to Ipalra, us being kind of the training gurus, I have always heard and I've always believed and subscribed to the belief that education is the great equalizer. So the more that we can do to provide this awareness and to create this culture of understanding among our existing employees, um, the more we can work to bridge these great gaps and, and address this, these disparities in the workplace. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. And I think the, the conversation piece, Missy, is so important. Um, you know, when we had Kelly Coyle from Legacy Project on the show a few weeks back, um, you know, she talked about the need to, as managers, to encourage women in the workplace to look at the horizon and look for opportunities to advance and grow. Um, and it seems like maybe we need to shift focus a little bit on keeping women in the workforce, um, but also still making available those opportunities. So when we talk about, you know, adjusting performance criteria, um, I think, again, we, we are no longer in a traditional work environment because of COVID. So um, measuring performance based on all of the traditional norms may no longer be appropriate. We may need to adjust how we evaluate our employees during this time um, and what those factors are that, that we consider when we're ranking employee performance and considering promotional opportunities. 
Um, certainly the flexible schedule issue. You know, we have all had to be really creative uh, over the last few months. Sometimes that means you are alternating schedules where you have employees, you know, on and off during different days of the week and working maybe sometimes longer hours or having one week in the office, one week wor working remotely. Um, it may be shifting to allowing employees who are not uh, necessarily customer oriented, um, you know, to work in the evenings instead of during traditional, you know, nine to five or eight to five hours. Um, there, there's a lot of different ways to address that, but I think it's incumbent and the responsibility of both the supervisors and the employees to engage in those conversations. Oh, I agree. We I also think need to keep the women in, in the workforce and, and keep that and keep encouraging women as leaders I've also seen with municipalities adjusting their their uh, the resident hours, the times that uh, the front desk is available, and that it has been successful. That even reducing the time to certain days or or just in the mornings has helped with that employee scheduling issue, which helps people stay in the workforce. Right. There's still work to be done, no, no. but they don't need to be. They don't need to be present in in the municipality to do it. And, and now, Missy, you mentioned that you are in law school and you're looking, seeking to pursue an employment law degree. I think we would all agree that this is the moral, the moral thing to do would be to provide equity and make sure that all of our employees, male and female, are, are treated equally. But I also think um, we'd be foolish not to acknowledge that there are um, a, a change. There is a changing legal landscape right now. We're seeing extensions of FMLA. We're seeing cases um, brought brought out uh, requiring accommodations um, due to COVID and, and family and children working from home situations. So um, I think it might be a responsibility as employers to not be that test case, to not be the first one slapped with a lawsuit or have a ruling from the EEOC that you were discriminating by not providing a reasonable accommodation for women in the workplace. Absolutely. We're definitely seeing uh, more reports of um, litigation from working parents. And because of the changes that have made by the Families First uh, Coronavirus Response Act, you know, offering the 10 extra weeks of paid parental leave, um, we need to, to work together to make sure that, you know, we're offering and not discriminating against a group of employees. Sure. And I have heard that there are, and I can't, you know, I can't speak specifically to it, but I heard that there was um, some class action suits already. Um, some employees getting together um, because they do feel that they've been discriminated against in the workplace. Has any of this come up in any of your classes? Not yet. I'm still very early in my law school career, but I have been um, reading the articles as, as well. And, um, you know, as students, we talk to each other kind of about what these these hot button topics. And so, yeah, it's being talked about um, and I'm seeing it too. Okay. Um, and I know I mentioned it before, we always ask, you know, if you are part of an organization, if your organization is doing something that others can benefit from, I know um, we've seen some private sector um, organizations opening daycare centers and offering, um, you know, 
organizations that have access to greater resources, uh, kind of transferring those resources to employees. I know I've said it before that I live in Oak Park, and Oak Park is really only one of the communities that I've heard that is um, has a program where the city itself is depositing money into a flexible spending account for employees to specifically use for childcare um, when daycares are closed. I know right now the organization that I work for, we're closed to the public. We're all still working, but I can't even imagine what would happen um, if I had children and my, my children's school were closed and I had to come into the workplace, who would take care of them? So again, to our listeners, if you if your organization is, is offering anything, has any unique uh, angle on this, please let us know. Um, ladies, is there anything that you've heard outside of this uh, Oak Park example that I know we've talked about in the past? I think that's a, a great example of what Oak Park is doing, because that is an option through flex a flexible spending account is to use that for child care. Um, I think another option would maybe be that since local governments can't offer uh, child care in the building, they may be able to partner with local organizations, um, daycares and park districts to especially because park districts aren't able to offer all the services that they normally offer, but they may be able to develop some sort of alternative childcare options for, um, you know, your employees who are required to be in the, in the work and your first responders in the, working um, in person. That's great. Um, that I've spoken to, um, they're, they're looking at flexible schedules. That's been the main sort of offering. Um, and, and obviously there's a challenge with first responders and essential workers component because there's some things obviously that can't be some job functions that cannot be done remotely um, that require people on staff like fire um, to be on site. Yeah. But um, again, I, I think it's just a matter of engaging in those conversations and um, working through that with your employees and with your their supervisors, trying to figure out what, what options exist that are specific to that individual because a lot of this like anything that we do in HR um, you know it's it's really difficult to have a blanket approach to everything because it doesn't necessarily always fit and meet everyone's needs and also the workplace needs so um, some of it is a little bit on a case-by-case -case basis dependent on the job functions and the duties and what can be done. Missy, I want to thank you so much for all the effort you put into preparing for this show today, organizing that uh, survey and um, getting it out to the various organizations. Um, we will put a link uh, in the podcast, the body of the podcast, for the results of that survey. Um, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can email me um, at mhall, H-A-L-L, at govhrusa.com. Excellent. And again, listeners, this is always a call to you. We're listening. If you've got anything you want to say, you know how to get a hold of us. Connect with us through the website at www.ipelra.org. And of course, on Twitter at IPELRA. Support IPELRA by becoming a member. We're dedicated to providing training and resources to HR and labor professionals in local government. Join us next time as we discuss de-escalating conflict, essentials for stressful times with Andra Medea. And I'm Christina I'm Megan Tolera. And this has been Real Time with iPelra. Thanks so much and stay safe.